The text that I've chosen for the sermon this morning are the verses 18 and 19 of 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. We'll read those verses again. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So far the text. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. We all know them, don't we? People who can't stand the sight of blood. Maybe, maybe you're one of them. Blood makes you queasy. I remember way back when I was in, uh, when I was in uh, school, grade 8, in health class we had to watch a, a movie about giving first aid, a very graphic movie it was. And we were watching the movie and I heard a bump beside me and I noticed the girl sitting beside me had slid onto the floor. She couldn't stand the sight of blood, even fake blood in a, in a movie. And then there was another scrape and bump and another student sit, slid to the floor and then another, if I recall correctly, there were three students laying on the floor at the end of the movie. They couldn't stand the sight of blood. And there are more people like that, too. And again, maybe you're one of them. However, in church, we talk a lot about blood. Blood. The Bible itself talks a lot about blood. If you think about the Old Testament, how much blood had to be shed in the Old Testament, in the temple. I've often said that the priests were, they walked up to their ankles in blood on a regular basis in the temple. Their clothes spattered with blood. The Apostle John writes in his, the Apostle Peter writes in his first letter that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And the Lord Jesus himself, when he instituted the Lord's Supper, he held up the cup and he said, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Every time the Lord's Supper is celebrated here, you hear similar words. And we sing, we sing quite a lot about the blood of Jesus. Hymn 81, verse 4, for instance, he breaks the power of reigning sin, he sets the prisoner free, his blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. So I'm afraid that people who can't stand blood, maybe even the mention of it, don't always have an easy time of it in church. In fact, there are even people who call themselves Christians but who don't like the idea of Jesus' blood being shed on the cross at all. They don't like that what they call blood theology. How could be a father be so cruel as to require the blood of his only son 
Reverend Tom Harper of Meaford here writes in one of his many books that he finds, or in more of his books, that he finds the idea of Jesus' blood as atoning for the sins of other people as morally repugnant. He finds that kind of blood theology even glorifies violence. However, congregation, if you don't want to hear about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and the shedding of his innocent blood, you actually will be rejecting the heart of the Christian faith. This is the heart of our faith. You're left, if you reject that, you're left with basically nothing to hold on to here in this broken life. And then if you are, you call yourself a Christian, you are you were just holding on to basically nothing. Only traditions, maybe. The thing is, we need to listen not to what people, even learned people, feel or think. We have to listen to what God tells us in his apostolic word, in his, in his whole word about the blood of Christ. And I proclaim to you the text for this morning about the precious blood of Christ. The precious blood of Christ. And the text shows two things about that blood. Shows more things. I just pick out two things that it shows about that blood. First of all, it redeems us from an aimless life. And secondly, it gives us a purposeful life. So first of all, the precious blood of Christ redeems us from an aimless life. The Apostle Peter wrote his first letter to Jewish, this first letter to Jewish and Gentile Christians. They were scattered throughout uh, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Apparently small churches, maybe even house churches, which existed there in the middle of a strongly pagan society. And it, it wasn't easy for those Christians there, we gather from the rest of this letter. They were, uh, they were enduring trials. They were being rejected by by that society in which they, they were in the culture. They stood out. They were misunderstood, therefore, and mocked and hated by those around them. And you can imagine if somebody joined the Christian church, became a Christian, joined the Christian church and went there, that their whole family could re reject them. And it had been proclaimed to them that, that the faith would give them joy, but here they were being despised and rejected. And so throughout his two letters, the apostle Peter wants to encourage them to continue in Jesus Christ in spite of their trials. And in the text then, Peter reminds his readers that they have been redeemed with precious blood. Not just plain blood, in other words, precious blood. Extremely valuable blood, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son. Peter compares him to a lamb without blemish and without spot, perfect lamb which is killed and whose blood is poured out. And, and Peter doesn't come to that comparison of Jesus to a slaughtered lamb just out of his own self, no. As a Jew, he was well-versed in the Old Testament, you realize, he knew about God's ordinance as we read that in Exodus 12. 
He knew the story of Israel's deliverance from Egypt off by heart. He knew all about the oppression of his Jewish forefathers in Egypt, how terribly they suffered under the Pharaohs. You all know that too, I'm sure. Also the boys and girls. Pharaoh made the Israelites into a nation of slaves, made them work for him, slave for him. And so they were condemned to an aimless life in Egypt. There was no prospect of improving their lives at all. They had no hope for the future. They just lived and labored day to day to day to day. At least they did so until God intervened. He sent Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh's court to demand the release of his people. But you remember that Pharaoh was stubborn. He wouldn't let the Israelites go. And the result was that, though, that, God, would, that God brought one plague after another over Egypt so that Pharaoh and the Egyptians would know that they were dealing with God and that they, would, that they were to let his people go. Ten plagues in all. The most terrible one, the last one. The death of all the firstborn in Egypt. Man and beast. And you know how the firstborn was held up in those days as the continuation of the race. How did the Israelites escape that tenth plague? We read about it in Exodus 12. By means of a lamb, a slaughtered lamb, by means of blood. Every Jewish family had to choose a lamb from the flock which had no blemishes at all. Didn't have a sore foot or was completely white and was completely perfect as far as they could tell. And that lamb was then set aside from the, the rest of the animals of the flock for a few days, a little pen of its own, and then it was killed on one evening at twilight and eaten that night. When it was killed, the blood was collected in a bowl and then painted with hyssop on the doorposts of the home of every Israelite family. And the people in those houses were then spared the death that raged there in the land of Egypt that night. You can imagine. Today we have the Ebola virus killing people in the street. There too, whatever the firstborn of man and animal was doing, they dropped dead in bed, in the street, in the stables. But the Israelites and their animals were spared by that blood. And because of that blood, they could leave that, eventually leave that aimless life in Egypt behind that very same night. They were freed, redeemed by the blood. That's the main idea behind Peter's reference to Christ as a lamb without blemish or spot whose blood redeems us. And what Peter is also saying then is to those Christians, you, my brothers in Asia Minor, 
you are like those Israelites in Egypt. The Israelites had an aimless, empty way of life there in Egypt. Well, remember, before you were Christians, you had that same kind of life. That's the kind of life you had before, too. You were also slaves of sin and your own desires, leading a life that led nowhere. In our text, after all, Peter mentions the aimless conduct received by tradition from their fathers. In other words, the hopeless way of life inherited from their unbelieving forefathers. That was a way of life in unbelief, a way of seeking satisfaction in all kinds of things, but not finding that. A life on a treadmill, stuck in sin and sinfulness, that way of life was handed down from parents to children. A life stuck in the slavery of sin even while they thought they were free. A life that was going nowhere, though, that had no prospect of, of, for the future. And that was a life handed down from one generation to the next, completely taken up with this life. And so without real purpose or direction, they didn't really know why they were living, what they were living for. That life was as aimless as the life of the Israelites in slavery in Egypt. Slaves without any hope of breaking out of it. That's what your life used to be like too before you came to, to Christ. Before Christ, Peter says to those Christians in Asia Minor. And that's something for, that we, we can think about today too, right? Life without God is so aimless. We can so easy get caught up in that too, right? Being so busy with here and now that we don't think about God and that we just live from day to day. It's a treadmill. Are you, are you happy with your life? Do you have the feeling that you're really, your life and your doing has significance? Is the way you fill your days and hours really meaningful? Or are you living for this life only? You can be busy, 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 but that's not what gives this life meaning. Your own achievements are not what gives your life meaning. You can be so taken up in, in life and work and organizing and so on that you hardly have thought or time for God and where your life and everything is headed. You hardly have time to open the word, to pray. And then you can actually be, get caught in that slavery of life without God too, that aimless life of things that all seem more important here than your life and future with him. Something to examine ourselves for all the time, congregation. The blood of Jesus frees from that kind of aimless, purposeless living Peter then goes further in his comparison of Israel and Egypt and the past lives, the original readers of this letter. He says, the Israelites were freed from their way of life in Egypt by a lamb. Well, you've been freed 
from your aimless way of life handed down by your forefathers, you've been freed by a lamb too. At least someone you could represent with the lamb. Jesus Christ. His blood. The lamb the Israelites were to kill was to be completely without blemish. A perfect lamb. Well, that other lamb, Jesus Christ, was a lamb without blemish or spot. Makes his blood so precious. That's what Peter says, verse 19. The Passover lamb the Israelites were supposed to choose from the flock was carefully selected beforehand. Supposed to be put apart from the rest of the flock, as we mentioned, for sacrifice. Well, that, that other lamb, Jesus Christ, was also carefully chosen by God beforehand. Our text uses the word, or right after the text, uses the word foreordained by God. Chosen by God himself. Once upon a time, he had appointed a lamb for Abraham to die on that altar on Mount Moriah in the place of Isaac. Apparently, what Peter has in mind here, and he says that that's how Jesus Christ was chosen and appointed by God the Father before time as a sacrifice for others. Before the foundation of the world already. So you see that that Old Testament Passover lamb and Christ had a lot of similarities, but there were also pretty significant differences. Jesus is much more than the Passover lamb was. He is truly, truly without blemish or spot, perfect son of God, chosen and appointed by God himself as sacrificial lamb. And do you realize what that means? It means that the effects of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross are much, much greater. What comes out of that sacrifice is much greater than came from that sacrifice of the Passover lamb in Egypt. By means of that blood of the Passover lambs, the Israelites were saved from death and freed from Egypt. But from the rest of the Old Testament, we know how quickly Israel ended up in problems again, ended up in the slavery of disobedience to God again. It happened already in the wilderness on the way when they were not long out of Egypt. So the effect of those sacrifices of Passover lambs obviously was not that great. But now a very special lamb was sacrificed on Golgotha. Now that his precious blood was poured out, now total deliverance was possible. Complete deliverance forever. Everyone who believes in that lamb, Jesus Christ, is powerfully saved from the slavery of sin and death and from an aimless, purposeless life. And with so much power that such a person never, ever, ever has to get stuck in that slavery of sin and death again. Wonderful. What a lamb. In our text, Peter emphasizes that power, that liberating power of that lamb's sacrifice, that of Christ's sacrifice. The, that blood of Christ is precious, more valuable than anything else in the whole universe. He gave his whole life from beginning to death 
He gave his life blood to redeem us. Redeem us. Free us. And the power of that sacrifice is so great that it continues to be available to whoever embraces Christ today in his heart too. All those sacrifices of those Passover lambs in the Old Testament lost their power, their effectiveness. That, that was lost. And long ago already too then. But the sacrifice of that Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, has lost none of its power and effect at all. So congregation, we have to examine ourselves. Do we realize how stuck and aimless our lives are in themselves without him? Then I remind you that a sacrifice has been made for you, a sacrifice that frees you from that enslaved and aimless and hopeless life. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his blood was poured out for you. Accept that sacrifice, brothers and sisters. It's precious. It's liberating. It's life-giving. It gives your life direction and purpose. It gives you hope. Live in that hope. And that brings us to the second part of the sermon. The precious blood of Christ gives a purposeful life. We know to the congregation that Israel plays a big role in, in the, what the text says, specifically the liberation of Israel from Egypt through the blood of a lamb. But that redeeming of the Israelites from Egypt wasn't the whole story, if, as you know. Israel wasn't just freed to go wherever on their own way. No, Israel was freed in order to journey to the land promised to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. They were freed to go on their journey. They had a journey through the wilderness. They had a, they traveled through the wilderness, a place of thirst and hunger and enemies wanted to destroy them. Those Israelites were, were pilgrims on the way to a promised land. And you notice in 1 Peter 1 verse, verse 1 that Peter calls the people he addresses there in Asia Minor, the Christians, pilgrims. Pilgrims. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is like Old Testament Israel. She's been redeemed, freed by the precious blood of Christ, has a wonderful future ahead of her. Peter speaks in this first chapter about an inheritance which is incorruptible and undefiled, which does not fade away, but is reserved in heaven for her. Reserved. That, that word is like it's laid away in a strong safe in heaven, ready to be brought out and given to the children of God when the time comes. Here, here is your inheritance. Our new lives our new bodies in Christ are now with God in heaven already. As it were. But one day, they'll be taken out and passed out to us to put on over our old outfits, ragged outfits, and then we'll be completely changed and renewed. 
Well, that's the, the future Peter lays out before us in our text then. We've been liberated in order to make our way to the promised land. We're on the way, congregation, to the land flowing with milk and honey. That's where we're, what we've been liberated for. So we can go there. And so we no longer have an aimless life here, just going all over the place. No. We have a purposeful life because we're moving toward that goal, that new life, which Christ has obtained for us and which is laid away for us, ready to be given to us when the time comes. We're not there yet, though. We're not there. Like the Israelites were pilgrims passing through a strange land to the promised land, we're pilgrims on the way to the fullness of new life in Christ. Pilgrims. Remember the, the church in London is called Pilgrim Canadian Reformed Church. Beautiful name. That's what we are. Strangers in, that means though, that we're strangers and sojourners here. That's actually what Peter writes in verse 17, just before the text. It says there, in verse 17, conduct, conducting, conduct yourselves throughout all the time of your stay here in fear. And you'll see there's a little footnote with the word stay. And then you check the footnote out, and it says sojourning. You're sojourning here. We're just passing through in this life, congregation. We're just camping here. This life is, is a wilderness we're passing through as pilgrims. And you understand what that means then. If we're pilgrims on the way to the land of milk and honey, on the way to the renewed life with God, the new life in Christ, the implication is that we shouldn't make ourselves completely at home here in this life. This ain't it. This ain't all it. If we're pilgrims and sojourners here, we're not really at home here. And we shouldn't do as if it is our, our home here. Live that way. Or do you? Do we say that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but in the meantime, treat this life as if it's home, as if it's all there is? With the idea maybe that Jesus is okay for Sunday, but on Monday, I'm going to do my own thing again. Monday, that plays no role in my life in how I, I speak and act and behave, then, then he's out of my mind and I'm, I'm doing my own thing. Brothers and sisters, if that is how you live, then you haven't really understood the gospel of the precious blood of Jesus Christ at all. Then, then you're resident in this wilderness instead of a pilgrim on the way to the land of milk and honey. Then you're living aimlessly, really, no, no congregation. We're, we're called to be people who have been redeemed, freed from slavery by Christ in order to make our way to the promised land. And that means we shouldn't get so caught up with the life of this world that we lose sight of where we're going to. 
where we're headed. We shouldn't just live for here and now. Because then we settle in here. We become part of this world that lives without God and is aimless. Aimless. No, the purpose of our liberated life is that we remain sojourners on the way to greater and more glorious things. And that's why the apostle also speaks of girding up the loins of your mind there. In verse 13, therefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober. As for pilgrims, gird, gird up and be holy as God is holy in all your conduct. That's what that means. Keep traveling as pilgrim through this life. Don't let your sinful nature take control of you so that you end up seeking your home here. For life is aimless for those who live here alone, for this life alone, who have no hope. But pilgrims are just passing through, and they know it and show it. They're just sojourners on the way to the land of milk and honey. We're on the way to that glorious life on the new earth obtained for us in Christ's blood. So let's stay pilgrims then, freed in Christ to make our way to that promised land. Congregation, why am I telling you all this? Because the sermon is about 1 Peter 1, verse 18 and 19, right? And those verses are just about the redemption, the liberation by the blood of Christ, and not about our life as Christians. And that's true, but I believe that the apostle wanted to make clear to all in our text and in the context of, that our redemption by the blood of Christ has everything to do with everyday reality what you live for from day to day. I'm afraid that, that Christians sometimes have trouble relating the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which they hear about and celebrate on Sunday, with their often busy lives on Monday, Tuesday, and the rest of the week. And those two can sometimes look like two different worlds, unfortunately. Well, I hope this sermon has helped you make that connection. Your pilgrim during the week, freed by the precious blood of Christ, not to live aimlessly here without a real goal, but to live purposefully every day, to walk as pilgrims on the way to the land of milk and honey. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the message from, from you through your holy word that we've been freed by the precious blood of Christ and then liberated from also from an aimless, hopeless life and then freed in order to now be pilgrims with purposeful lives because we're on the way to the promised land, to life with you in your glory. Help us to live from day to day then not as if our, our home is here, as if this is everything, but as sojourners here on the way to better things, to the land of milk and honey. And we pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, whose precious blood has redeemed us and put us on that path. Amen.